0: Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow, is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And as always, thank you for tuning in to the Firetime Podcast. I'm excited to be with you today. Now, this episode is one that I've been looking forward to for a while, and I felt like it's a really important topic. So. Today, we're going to be diving into the idea of what is the HPBA? Now, obviously, that's an acronym that stands for the Hearth, Patio, and Barbecue Association. But this is an organization that's helping to organize our industry at the national level. And as I've gotten more involved in the industry over the last few years, my understanding of the HPBA has grown significantly. And I kind of want to pull back the curtain a little bit to share this perspective with you guys, because the stuff that's going on at the national level is a really big deal. And so often, we can just be too close to what we do to actually see what the bigger your picture looks like. You know, the way it was for me for years and years and years, I would go to the annual conference of our local HPBA affiliate here in the state of Oregon, and every year the conference was really cool. There was great sales training and and different updates and things that I needed, but every year there was a government affairs update by the HPBA, and honestly, I would just snooze through it. I was like, this is the most boring thing. I don't get why it matters or how it helps me, and frankly, that was just the wrong perspective. It was immaturity on my end, not understanding What our industry trade association is doing for our members. And over the last couple of years, as I've gotten more involved with the HPBA, I went through the Government Affairs Academy in Washington, D.C. And now that I sit as a national board member, my eyes have been opened to the scale of work that's going on and just how important it is to get involved. And so in this episode, I'm really excited to have a conversation about what exactly it is that our trade association does for us and why that's such an important thing. Now, one of the things I found to be true in our industry is that many businesses are so close to what they do in the day-to-day and they're so caught up in the whirlwind, they can't break free to think about the bigger picture of what's going on. And frankly, some of the heart behind this podcast has been to help business leaders around our country be able to break free from the day-to-day to rise above the chaos and confusion to actually start looking ahead and do the things that are needed to grow their business. I would argue that involvement with our industry trade association is one of those things. Now, the problem is for many businesses, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, if you're worried about paying your rent every month, you can't even process what it's like saving for retirement. Many business owners today are so stuck in the whirlwind. It's like they're trying to pay their rent every month. And for HPBA to come along and start saying, well, you got to be thinking about this down the road. You got to be worried about this regulation and this impending legislation. It'd be like asking them to save for retirement. So my hope is that through this podcast, you are starting to be able to break free from the chaos and noise and actually lift yourself above your business a little bit so that you can start to think about and process the bigger picture because looking down the road is going to be what grows your business long term and sets you up for rampant success. So with all that in mind, I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation. We'll circle back and talk about it at the end, but you're going to get a ton of value about hearing just what HPBA is doing for our industry and how you can take part in that. Joining me from Arlington, Virginia is the president and CEO of the Hearth Patio and Barbecue Association. I am joined by Jack Goldman. How are you doing, Jack? I'm good. How are you? You know, I'm doing really good, and I'm really thankful that you decided to come onto to the podcast. I think that this is going to be a really fun conversation about just what HPBA is doing at the national level for folks who may or may not be aware of that. Now, as we jump into it, Jack, we've had a couple conversations as I've been doing a little bit more with HPBA over the last year or so. but mm-hmm. HPBA is a name that a lot of folks in our industry hear and it's just kind of assumed that you do something and I really want to kind of dig into the meat of what it is that the Hearth Patio and Barbecue Association is doing for our industry. But before we jump into that, you've been around a little while, right?
1: Yeah, I've been here, uh, it'll be um, 19 years in September. I was in private law practice and um, I was doing environmental administrative law and patent law and frankly it wasn't working for me and so I wanted to get more into business. So I was looking for a business law position and HPBA uh, hired me as their general counsel and director of government affairs back in uh, September of
0: 2000. Wow. And so you were you were on board working the government affairs side for years. And what was it that, that right. made you make the jump to becoming the president and CEO?
1: Well, the first was my boss resigned. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I threw my hat in the ring and, and, and got the job, and that was in 2006.
0: And it's kind of nice, too, that you came on through the Government Affairs channel, because that's like front and center of what HPBA does, isn't it?
1: Right. It's been very important, really, since I joined. I think some of our, our challenges have really started to come up since uh, since I've been here.
0: Wow. And as I think about this, the industry has faced a lot of government regulation during that same time, and there's been, in addition to organizing a trade show, all kinds of battles that you guys have been fighting, right? Can you talk about mm-hmm. some of the battles that you guys have been overcoming on behalf of our industry for the last you know, 20, 30 years?
1: Sure. The, uh, the first things were really involving wood burning emissions, and there were EPA regulations that were begun in the late 1980s, and we actually went through something called a regulatory negotiation. So instead of the usual uh, dance where the agency uh, collects information, proposes something, we we comment on it, you know, we like or don't like what comes out of the final regulation, and then we sue the agency. The regulatory negotiation is meant to get all that discussion you would do in front of a judge and do it behind closed doors up front. So everyone agrees, and then when the final rule comes out, no one sues because you've worked all the issues out. That took four years. Wow. And then it took two years for the rule to go into effect. So the rule went into effect in the the early 90s. Since then, we've had issues involving safety, uh, specifically the glass fronts of gas fireplaces. EPA now has had another set of regulations for wood burning, which are the second step is going into effect next year, which is having a real effect on the industry. On the gas side, which really, those products only really came into their own in the 1990s, now we have regulations there as well. One form is efficiency regulations, And the Department of Energy tried to uh, do that in a really slapdash fashion. And we sued them in court and won, which was really David versus Goliath. Yeah. Yeah, it was really something. What that's done, though, is by the Department of Energy now deciding not to regulate us at the federal level, there is now a regulation being considered in California. The federal government of Canada has just literally this week issued a regulation. British Columbia has done so already. So that's that's an area. And then the other real big thing is uh, climate change. And there are now, uh, at least on the coasts, a lot of uh, jurisdictions that are looking at decreasing their carbon footprint. And for gas, especially, also would to a degree, they're looking at at eliminating gas uh, in homes. And that's an existential threat because right now, gas fireplaces are, you know, the majority of fireplaces sold. So that's just a sampling of some of the things we've We've had a look
0: at, and you have another story too. And this was in a city in Utah when they were looking at a, a statewide ban of wood burning. That was another big ordeal, wasn't it?
1: Right. That that's kind of funny. Uh, um, there are well, it, it was funny because it was so ludicrous. Uh, it was not funny because it almost happened. <laughs> but there, the s- seven counties around Salt Lake City, um, the the state said we are now going to basically outlaw the use of wood stoves only from November till mid-March. Sure, yeah. Okay, so that's really helpful. And we're going to exclude locations that are above a certain altitude. And that was, of course, because people who have invested millions of dollars in ski resorts want to be able to have the wood stoves in their rooms for their guests burning. Sure. So we determined if the industry just goes in and says, don't do it, it's very self-serving and it doesn't convince anyone. And this is where grassroots is so key. Uh, so what we did is we had a firm we worked with here, and we found one in the Salt Lake area, and they basically through uh, social media got the public aware of hearings, explain what was you know really in the works here, and the hearings were were jammed with people. There were um, you know a certain number of slots for for testimony from the public, and. They ran out of slots. You know, people More people came to testify than they had room. They needed overflow rooms. By the time it was over, there was no question that the public was completely against this. And the governor had to backtrack completely on these plans. And then we just went a step further, which was because we don't want this to happen again. And we said we, we got the state legislature to pass a law which basically said, you can't do this again. Wow. So so it was really powerful. And the only reason that worked is because politicians saw how many of their voters were really dead set against
0: this. I think that that talks so much about just how— you have to work together. That's the reason there's a national association, is because you guys are able to orchestrate things and see things at a level that the local dealers aren't. But then vice versa, if something does come up in a corner of the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, the local dealers on the ground can get the word out to where you can start working together. And it's actually amazing when you think about how what could have happened. I mean, in Utah, those counties make up like 95% of the population, and they wouldn't have right. been able to burn wood for six, seven months out of the year when they need to burn it. That's a big deal.
1: Right. And, and the other thing is, you know, if you're a retailer in Nebraska or, you know, Maryland or Florida and saying, well, what should I care about this? You know, they, they took care of the problem. We, we, we put so many resources into this particular proposal because it was the first and we didn't want anyone to think that it could take root in Utah and then spread across the rest of the country. So it was critical that we were successful the first time.
0: Yeah, that's really true. But let's fast forward to today. So, you know, until a couple of years ago, I knew what HPBA was, I was in the industry, and I would just kind of snooze through the HPBA update every year mm-hmm. at the conference. And I think if our dealers right. listening to this or being honest, there's probably a lot of them that are in the same boat. But in the last sure. couple of years, my eyes have been open to what HPBA is doing. And so I want to talk about if we fast forward to today, what is HPBA doing at the national level to try and give value to their dealers?
1: Okay, first of all, our mission is, is very simple, and it is to protect and promote the industry. So there are two key words there, and some of these government affairs ideas I just discussed are in the protect you know category, but we also need to promote the industry, and, and that's at a number of levels. That it's at, at the government affairs level to show government officials the value of our products and that we can actually help make the air cleaner and, and things like that. And then also just to promote. And so for those things, we do, first of all, on the promotion end is the trade show. The trade show is a very efficient place to come and learn everything you need to know about what products are out there and what products you want for your retail store. So so that's, you know, it's one-stop shopping. You can't do that at any other place in North America. We also do um, research, specifically consumer research. We do research both for hearth every other year and then we alternate for barbecue between a general survey of consumers and then mid to high end purchasers of, of grills because a lot of our manufacturers make higher end grills and you're not gonna get the same reaction from people as those who just want to get a grill at Lowe's and have a run for two or three years and get a new one. All of that information is available, not just to the manufacturers, but to the retailers as well. So if you want to know what's making your customers tick, you should take a look at these results. They're behind our firewall, so any member of HPBA can go in and see the results, and, and they've been digested for people. You don't have to look at raw data, and it'll tell you you know, basically what motivates people and this can help you with your sales and it can help you even in in choosing what products you, you pick for, your, for your, uh, your store. We also have education, which is very important, especially on the hearth end we have the um, National Fireplace Institute and we have certifications. There are four certifications, three are for installers for gas, wood and pellet and the fourth is called the hearth design specialist. So the first three are, are good because if you're running a retail operation it's great having your, your, um, your installers who can put some letters next to their name have a patch on their sleeve sure. and, and know that they, they have some idea what they're doing. Because if you think about it, our industry, our job is putting fire in people's
0: houses. Yeah, <laughs> we talk about that on it's purpose. It's really kind of
1: sca- on purpose, right? right? So it's kind of scary. So, so you want to have someone who, who you know, I, I do the same when I hire a plumber or, or, or anything. I want someone who's certified. We recently added the hearth design specialist, and that's important because the first person the customer is going to see isn't the installer, it's going to be the salesperson on the floor in in the retail operation. And so the idea here is to get some basic information under everyone's belt, and and so that they can give better advice on what's the appropriate product. You know, it could be uh, on a certain wall, a gas is going to work better than wood because of drafting issues or whatever. And, and this is to, again, create some confidence of a customer coming into to the door to say, well, I'm going to talk to someone who knows what they're talking about, so I'm going to get some good advice here. And hopefully then they even buy from, from that store. So we have these four certifications, and uh, we think they're really important. In some states, and we're trying to increase this, where they're, we're trying to get the industry more as a profession, it can be something that will allow you to pull a perm to go through a HVAC or a, a plumber. You can do it yourself, and and that cuts your costs in terms of uh, doing the job.
0: Well, Jack, I was in Kansas City last week talking at the Midwest HPBA show, and they're going Mm -hmm. through this in – it's in Missouri, I believe. But Mm -hmm. basically in certain areas, I think St. Louis is one of them, there was – Basically a proposal for this ridiculous level of uh, certification that you had to hold in order to pull a permit that had mm-hmm. nothing to do with our industry. And, it, and it, would cost, it would cost companies thousands and thousands of dollars, and they have to go through hours of testing for stuff that just doesn't apply.
1: And also years of apprenticeships, yeah. which is not, not practical.
0: Yes. So imagine mm-hmm. that you know you're installing fireplaces, and all of a sudden you have to take a three-year break to send all your people mm-hmm. through apprenticeship training and spend you know tens of thousands of dollars getting right. everyone certified. Your customers aren't going to wait three years for your fireplace. But the point was right. that because HPBA has worked with the NFI to create this certification, that is being proposed now as an alternative to say right. you know NFI certification does hold up to be able to. Pull a permit for installing fireplaces, and without that work that HPBA has done, I mean, we'd be dead.
1: Yeah, it's it's extremely important, and one of the things that um, we're adding right now in some states, they want to see a curriculum, and that the person works under a, a licensed or a certified uh, installer. Well, we can do the second piece of that because you know you just need someone else at the uh, at, at the shop to to be uh, certified already. But in terms of of the the, the coursework. We haven't had a curriculum that's, that we can point to and say everyone who takes the exam has to take this curriculum. It might be 15 or 20 hours worth of, of courses, you know, online or something. So we're currently working on that, and we think we'll have that ready in the next year or so. And we think once we do, we'll have an easier job selling to some of the jurisdictions and saying, you know, this is a serious program, and it's going to cover what needs to be covered. And you can be comfortable that everyone is, you know, who comes out of this is, is – is the real deal. So, so we think that's also a real benefit for members.
0: Yeah. And, and one thing I think too, that, that is a big benefit is just, just organizing an in industry period. I mean, I think about if, if HPBA wasn't around, how on earth would we do anything? I mean, it, it'd be mm-hmm. like Lord of the flies. I mean, every, every person for themselves. And right. I think that there'd be just a ton of chaos with that. I'm, I'm thinking, so my first national board meeting was in March at the trade show. And mm-hmm. I was just thinking about the people in that room. You got 21 board members, right? -hmm. So you got twenty one board members, you've got the association staff, you've got different Mm -hmm. subcommittees, all there's probably fifty people in that room that are Mm -hmm. working together to make decisions on behalf of the industry. And I'm like, that there's no way that could ever get organized without a trade association like the HPBA.
1: Absolutely. And on the hearth end, almost every hearth manufacturer is a member. Yeah. So 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 we can draw on literally everyone and so it isn't going to be you know one or two companies that kind of decide for everyone else and that's also really an argument for joining HPBA because if you do and i make this argument to you know to everyone you have a role in the decisions that we make so so uh, you know it could be we're uh, we're going to challenge a regulation and we'll have a discussion about what's the best alternative because you always have to you know be constructive and say we don't like what you're doing, here's what we think you should do. And and we totally talk these things through so that it may not be a perfect solution for everyone, but it's going to be the best solution for the industry.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, so that's a ton at the national level. I want to shift the focus a little bit to locally because the HPBA has got affiliate groups all over North America and every right. state falls into every one state of and
1: every Right. Every state and every province. How
0: many affiliates are there? Yeah. Are there 13.
1: There are 13. Canada is one, but then it's split up into four uh, geographic areas, and then um, 12 in in the U.S.
0: Okay. And so everybody probably has some association with their local affiliate, but can you talk about why HPBA has decided to structure it that way and what you're doing at the local level?
1: Sure. If, If you think about the members of HPBA, so we go from manufacturer's reps to retailers to distributors to manufacturers. Well, their scope of their business is very different so the first three groups well certainly you know retailers could be one or two states reps and distributors might be a larger number of states but still regional and then manufacturers are basically you know throughout North America so you can't have one structure that's gonna work for all of them and so so for the folks who are more locally oriented the affiliates are the perfect form for them because There are issues in certain parts of the country that you don't have in others, and so they can focus more on on what their concerns are. And then for the nationwide issues like, you know, an EPA regulation or a Natural Resources Canada regulation, you really need to have the manufacturers who are nationwide, continent-wide in in scope. So, So having... These two different levels, you know, the continent and then regional sort of covers anything that could happen.
0: And you guys at the national level, don't you give some of the surplus of the expo money back to those affiliates?
1: We send about a half a million dollars from membership and and the trade show to our affiliates, so that is one of their sources of money besides uh, membership fees, and it's very important for them.
0: Oh, I know. I mean, speaking from someone that are in our state, it's only the state of Oregon. I mean those those funds are absolutely critical for us because we don't have multiple states with you know tons and tons and tons of members that we're pulling from.
1: Sure. Sure.
0: So, now, so one thing that I do want to talk about, you were actually out at our conference in Oregon a month or mm-hmm. so ago. And and right. I think it's really important to talk about at the local level, your affiliates are working so hard for the dealers and manufacturers and reps that are a part of the association. And and so this year, I guess I've been to, I think I've been to four shows. I've been to Oregon, wow. Northwest, Rocky Mountain, and Midwest. And okay. at every single show, the common ground has been that there is content that, I mean, speaking as a retailer, there's content provided there that will absolutely grow our businesses. I mean, I brought my sales team to the to the Oregon show. I brought mm-hmm. one of my one of my guys up in Washington to the Washington show. And this is really a big deal. And I don't think enough dealers are taking advantage of not just the government affairs updates and everything, mm-hmm. but sales content, marketing, technical, NFI certification. I mean, there's so much stuff that's going on at these affiliate meetings, and a lot of dealers aren't taking advantage of it.
1: Right. Yeah. The, I, I think in our industry, especially, education is vital because you know, the appliances are changing constantly. The laws of physics aren't, but how we're addressing the laws of physics are changing. And, um, and you know, really to stay abreast, you really have to take, take some courses. So whether you're using the coursework to uh, continue your certification, or if not, you still need to do just to stay ahead of where, where things are. And, uh, right, every affiliate annual meeting has education. Some of the affiliates actually have separate programs that are just education. The other thing is HPBA has an online library, so we record all the courses that are well, most of the courses that are given at Expo. So there are various places where you you can get uh, you know get some of this education. Obviously, the best thing is to have it live because then when someone's finished, you can ask questions, sure, and you can hear other people's questions as well.
0: Yeah, and the thing you think about, too, is it's dirt cheap. I mean, if you think about the cost of taking yourself and you know one or two team members to one of these events, you're probably under a few hundred bucks. And if you're going to get right. courses on sales and marketing and technical training and how to stock an install truck and certification, I mean, to bring in a consultant to your company to do that, I mean, you're going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars. And so for a few right. hundred bucks to bring right. your team members into a condensed day or two days, depending on how long the meeting is, but it's geared specifically to your industry, I think it's Mm -hmm. invaluable and there's not enough people taking advantage of it.
1: Absolutely. And the other thing is we, we try to rotate courses. So if you go to an affiliate annual meeting this year, you'll get a certain bunch of courses. If you go next year, they'll be different. So it isn't like you go once and you've covered everything. There's so much. You really have to go one year to the next because... There are going to be things you didn't get, you know, didn't have the chance to hear about the year
0: before. Sure. Well, Jack, in your position as the president and CEO of our national association, you're in an interesting spot because you have to look at things that are very close at the ground level with all the government affairs regulations that are happening immediately. But you also have to have your eyes on the future because, again, if the mission is to protect and promote our industry, you have to be looking ahead. So what are the big things that you and HPBA are looking at in the future?
1: Well, I would say two things, Uh, one in government affairs and then one more on the promotional end. For government affairs, it's clearly greenhouse gases. And whether you agree or not that this is happening, there are governments now, not at the federal level so much, but at the local level that are now coming up with goals of decreasing carbon footprints. And that can have a direct effect on this industry. So we have to make ourselves part of the solution. And I'll give you one example. In California, they have an algorithm in in a computer program, which is the value of certain measures taken to decrease the use of carbon uh, fossil fuels. They completely ignored the fact that room heating or zone heating is important. So instead of heating an entire home, if you heat one or two rooms, you're saving greenhouse gases. You're still burning some, but you're saving a lot. And so one of the things we're trying to do is get that included to say, hey guys, before you go too far down this path, you have to realize if you're trying to make progress in cutting carbon footprints, because that's what you're committed to do, you got to consider this. This is part of your solution. And so that's, that's one example. But, but that's a big challenge. That, to me, is an existential challenge for, for the industry. Another one, is, and, and it's related to this, is um, the incidence of installing new fireplaces and new homes and people who only do remodeling may say well that's a problem for the you know just the big companies that want to sell to you know Pulte or some other large sure. builder it's not that simple because someone who moves into a new home may not have gotten the fireplace they really want and 5 or 10 years down the road they're going to look at you know fixing up the house more improving things and you want to have a fireplace in the house that they can replace if there's no fireplace in the house to start with it's a bigger, it's, it's a bigger uh, pull to get them to put a fireplace in if They already have one, and you can say, you know, if you're going to be redoing your living room, you really need a nicer fireplace, then there's a remodel job there for you. Yep. One of our concerns, getting back now to greenhouse gases for a second, is if, if new home builders are convinced that they shouldn't put natural gas in their developments at all, then we've just lost a major market. And so, um, so we are now looking at what we can do in working with builders and architects to tell them what the value is of our products, both from a room heating perspective uh, and an ambiance you know, perspective. In other words, it makes the house more valuable when you buy it as a new home. It may- means the, um, the new home builders can make more money. And then when you want to sell your home and move into another home, the value of your home is greater. We have to let everyone know about that so that incidence stays up. Just historically, since the last 15 years, there's been about a one percent drop a year in the percentage of new houses that have fireplaces. It's gigantic. For a year or two, that's oh okay, well not too bad. And certainly during the Great Recession, that was you know it fell off worse, but it hasn't come back fully. The other thing is there are not as many new homes being built as we expected. There there have been you know issues with labor, the cost of land, mortgage rates have started to go up. And, and so there are just not as many new homes being built. So if the percentage is dropping and the number of new homes is not going up as we expect, then that's a real problem in sort of keeping fireplaces going into homes in the U.S. in general. So, so the two big things for us are greenhouse gases and incidents. There are a bunch of other smaller issues that are important also, but if someone says, like, what are the two things that keep you up at night, those by far are the two biggest issues.
0: Well, and one thing that, was actually presented at the Oregon show in May that I thought was just an amazing presentation was by John Frankel from our local Mm -hmm. gas provider, Northwest Natural Gas. And he gave a presentation about how they've been doing third-party research to actually show how natural gas can be a part of the solution to get greenhouse gases down. Because everybody loves electric, and I'm not down on electric, but when you think about the cost that it takes to make and transport and house that electric... It starts to be diminishing returns compared to finding more efficient ways to use natural gas. So I thought it was great that even at the local level, our our provider of natural gas is trying to be a part of the solution to say, hey, we recognize this, but we think that we can be a part of it. And there's all these things going on with cap and trade that are going to start to affect us that it's basically like cryptocurrency, but for for how efficient your emissions are. Either way, I thought that it was great that we can still be part of the solution, and it's not that there's not going to be a battle, but it's that we think that there's a way through this where we're still a player at the table.
1: Right, and and absolutely, and, and what's also important is, since there isn't a lot coming from the, the federal government in the U.S. at this point, uh, a lot of these issues are going to be decided at the local level, and that's where, again, it's very important that our affiliates are strong, that they're armed to inform policymakers what's going on, and we need local retailers to help us get the message out so that members of the public, their customers, can go to their elected officials and say, we still want fireplaces. They're, they're an important aspect of our lives
0: yeah and that's where i was going to go next with this i mean you kind of started to lead there already but i was going to ask you so you know why is it so important to get involved i mean can't you guys just do all this for us isn't that what we pay you for
1: (laughs) um if we had a staff of five thousand people (laughs) living in every state maybe it would work yeah but 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 we don't we have 23 people total our government affairs department is five they're terrific but i can't clone them i'm not allowed to so so uh we absolutely need people on the ground and that was, again, when we talked earlier about Utah, that's exactly what we needed. We needed a number of very articulate, trained retailers to sort of be the face, the local face of, of the industry. And that's something else. If someone like me goes in and testifies from Washington, DC, in some, you know, suburb of, of, uh, of Utah, it's so much less effective than a fellow citizen who who is an employer, there are a number of people who work for this person, and they're in the local community. It's it's a, a 100% difference in effecting.
0: Yeah, and, and I feel like you never know where it goes to. So a quick story for me. About three and a half years ago, I'm at our local spring conference. And at the conference, they mentioned that there's going to be a wood smoke emissions task force that is being put together by our state and it was just to gather information and start talking about wood smoke emissions and so someone asked me if i wanted to volunteer for the panel and i was like no i don't have time and i think it's really boring but no one else would so i just decided to so basically over the course of a year I had three or four meetings in different parts of Oregon, and it was actually an amazing conversation between the the DEQ, you know, Department of Environmental Quality, mm-hmm. and all kinds of different energy groups, air quality organizations, and I was the only person that represented the wood stove industry. And, oh. and, I, and I worked with Harvey Gale, who's our executive director mm-hmm. at OHPBA. Talked a lot with John Crouch and with Rachel Feinstein, but. I was the only person at the table that had the credibility of our industry there. So over the year we had these really good conversations. We talked about the difference between uncertified stoves, new certified ones. And at the end of it, we made a recommendation to the state of Oregon about how they should understand wood smoke emissions. Because at the time they had a state tax credit for it. Well, Mm -hmm. so, you know, three and a half years ago, I volunteered for four meetings that were all over the state. They took me away from my office. So you ask, did it actually help? Well, What happened is one of the people that was in that group worked for Washington County, which is the county in Portland that I live in. And Washington County happened to be facing EPA issues on their air quality. So they started to ask the question, well, from what we learned in this work group, it seems like new wood stoves are a heck of a lot cleaner than old ones. What if we could put together a change-out program? Now, I then got asked to volunteer on another committee. Could I be an advisor to them to talk about how could a change-out program work? Anyway, this took two and a half years, but you fast forward. We have a changeout program in our county that's trading out hundreds and hundreds of stoves wow. every year. Local dealers are winning business from it because a lot of it is, is county funded, and we're helping the air quality get better. And it, it's amazing that it took two and a half years, and if you would have asked mm-hmm. me at the time, I never would have seen that being the result. It was just, well, I'm volunteering for a meeting because no one else would go. Right. But that little bit of getting involved totally transformed our neck of the woods in regards to the way that we work with government.
1: Right. That's a great story. The other part of it is, frankly, with government affairs, a lot of people say, well, there'll be people who are more active, and I just trust that, you know, someone like like you, Tim, you know, someone will will, will show up. But that doesn't always happen. And you're getting people in government positions who can decide to say to you, you can no longer sell a third of what's on your floor. And think about that. That That's scary because you want to have a nice selection. So if a customer comes in and depending on their needs and their wants, you can sell them something. And if all of a sudden you're told, you know, no more wood-burning appliances off your floor, you can't sell them here anymore. That's some of what we're facing here, and it's important that people get involved.
0: Well, so Jack, I'm going to tee you up then. So talking about this, what would you say to manufacturers and dealers who say no thanks to joining HPBA?
1: I say you're missing out. You're not going to have the ability to weigh in on what the association does, and we're not going to help you protect your products. And you're going to lose markets, and it's it's terrible. But that's really what the I think the stakes are in many cases.
0: Well, I think it's just so foolish too to just count on other people's hard-earned dollars to bail you out of situations. It's stupid.
1: Right, right. Well, because they may not show up. Yeah, they may not even be there, and then and then you know you you have a series of assertions made by by people who aren't informed on our products. And and the government says, well, that's all we have to go on. So I guess, yeah, we'll ban those products.
0: Yeah. Well, we talked about this a little bit earlier, and I want to touch on it now. Can you talk about the Government Affairs Academy and how that's been such a resource for both you at the national level and for local dealers and manufacturers?
1: Absolutely. Again, it gets back to the issue. We can't be everywhere. You know, the U.S. and Canada are vast, and we have a staff of five government affairs people and a lot of the activity occurs at the local level so what the Government Affairs Academy is intended to do is to train a cadre of people like you who have three days of intense education on how to do this and then if something comes up in the area we will still help but in terms of the boots on the ground we have some people out there now all across the country because we run this now four or five times who are now trained And they can sort of take the lead and lead the charge. That was exactly the case, again, going back to Utah, where we had two graduates. And it includes how to come up with testimony and deliver it. The so-called 30-second elevator speech, if you run into someone who's important and you're literally in the elevator and you have till the 10th floor to get your two cents out. Um, It includes talking to the press so that you don't, you know, have to extract your foot when you walk away from the press, that you kind of stay on message and the so-called graduation exercise is going to staff and members of congress on the last day and using some of the skills you've learned so that you actually have tried them and you see how it works and then these people go back home and then if something happens locally we have people there who can who can do it we have many examples over the years of local people who've done an incredible job because they were trained in in what to do and if something happens you can't sit back and say well the crazies are two states away. They'll never be in this in this area. That doesn't work that way. Nope. Then when something happens, we have people on the ground who can then protect the industry.
0: Well, and I love that you mentioned the elevator speech because that's such a funny thing. But I got, actually got to use that. So in the Government Affairs Academy, we're learning all this stuff. We go to Capitol Hill. We're shaking hands with senators. We're talking with their staff associates. And as we're getting ready to fly home, I'm in the airport with Grant Falco. We're getting ready to fly mm-hmm. back to the Pacific Northwest. And we look over. And one of the senators from my state is like oh. 10 feet away. Jeez. And so I was like, dude, I'm going to go talk to him. Yeah. And Grant's like, you're going to go talk to him? I'm like, yeah. And so I, I went over. I just <laughs> tapped him on the shoulder. I said, excuse me, Senator, my name is Tim. And we talked earlier this week about this issue. And I gave him the elevator speech. We talked for maybe two and a half minutes or so. Mm-hmm. But without that training, I would have been just a bumbling mess. I would have had you know, no mm-hmm. idea what I was be talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very intensive two or three days. I mean, you know, it isn't just... You sit and listen to people for four or five hours and you go off and have a meal. You're actually given exercises to do and you have to work things through so that the next time you're on your own, you can, you can do this yourself. And it is incredibly important. The other thing I want to add, which is something we hope people who've graduated can do and lead efforts to do, is to talk to your members of the state and, and U.S. Congress before you need to ask for a favor. Get sure. to know them and let them understand your value to the community as a businessman and then it might be a year or two or two. it might be five years from now when you need their help and you stay in touch with them it's a vast difference and it often means uh, contacting a district office and these guys want to visit they actually really want to know what's going on out there so they're they remain connected to their districts so it's it's super important to do and just one other thing Northwest actually had all their board members do this I don't know, six, seven years ago. they Everyone had the assignment. They had to talk to a state senator and a, state, uh, a member from the state assembly or whatever the lower house is yeah. in Washington. And a lot of them were scared. These weren't people who even had gone to the Government Affairs Academy, but they were briefed by those who had. And we have testimonials here at HPBA from quite a few of them who said, we were scared. We just couldn't imagine doing it. And and we'd meet the guy in a diner or they'd they come over to our shop. And we found out, you know, our kids go to the same high school and sure, they're on the same yeah. football team. They're just like you and me. You know, they just happen to have spent a lot of time getting elected to, to office and they're still interested in the things you are. And yeah. they really want the best for their the uh, people who elect them because that's how they get reelected. So it's just it's absolutely critical.
0: Well, Jack, that's a great explanation of the value that HPBA is given. And I think that our audience is going to get a ton out of it. One last question I have for you. you sure. excited for New Orleans this year.
1: Absolutely, I think it's a great city. You know, there's so much to do there. If you love to eat, if you love music, it's just a different city, totally different from any other city in in the U.S. It's a great convention city, and we're going to have a good lineup. We are also talking to companies this year that haven't been to the show, and and we uh, I can't tell you who they are or if we're going to get <laughs> them yet. But but there's more interest in them coming to the show than in past years. So I think we'll have a great turnout both in terms of exhibitors and we're looking forward to a lot of uh retailers coming and being able to you know recharge for the coming year
0: very cool well hey jack thanks so much for the time i'm excited to see you out in dc in october and just thanks again for stopping by my pleasure all right jack we'll see you later thank you Now, I thought that was an awesome conversation, and I hope that you guys got some value out of it. For me, it was super fun to get to talk to Jack about what HPBA has been doing historically and also what they're looking at in the near future as they continue to fight for our industry. Now, for anyone listening to that that was really intrigued and wanted to dive even deeper, we touched on it a little bit at the end, but I cannot recommend enough the HPBA Government Affairs Academy. This is something that I went through last year. They run it every other year in July, and it's a life-changing experience. You go to Washington, D.C., it's a three-day training that is very intense, and it ends with a day on Capitol Hill where you are speaking with legislatures that represent your state and talking about the issues that are critical. To your business surviving and thriving. So, like I said, if you ever get a chance to check it out, talk to your local affiliate and try to get in to the HPBA Government Affairs Academy. Now, I mentioned last week that Season 2 is almost over. We are coming to the end of it, and I just can't believe how much ground we've covered looking back. Now, when I originally thought about this, I was always going to do seasons in 12-episode increments, and Season 1 got a little carried away. We did 13 episodes because there was some bonus content at the end, and Season 2 has been even longer than that, but I've just been loving the content that the guests have been bringing, and I know it can be super valuable for your business. Now, I'm especially excited about next week's episode because in next week's episode, I'm going to take some of the content that I've been sharing as I've been traveling around the country here and actually put it into the podcast. One of the presentations that I've been giving is called Make It Easy How to Sell More by Eliminating Customer Confusion. And I'm really excited to share this with you. The presentation that I'm going to share next week, I actually gave in Kansas City a couple weeks ago. And I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Hopefully, it's able to point out some things that maybe you've been missing that are actually confusing customers out of buying your products. At the end of the day, we want to make it easy. so that people understand the value that we offer and there's no barriers to them doing business with us. So you can stay tuned for that next week. I think it's to be a really, really fun episode. The very last thing is we are coming up on the Q&A episode, which is going to be the final episode of Season 2. If you want to get your questions in, keep sending them to tim at itsfiretime.com. That's tim at itsfiretime.com. If there's something specific for your business, I'd love to tackle it here on the podcast so that listeners all over north america can learn as well so with all that in mind i hope you guys have an amazing week i'm getting ready to fly out for minneapolis i'm speaking at hht summer summit should be a really fun event and i can't wait to talk with you guys next week thank you for listening to the fire time podcast to learn more visit the website it's firetime.com music from this episode was written and recorded by in bloom out of portland oregon We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.